Hello, you're listening to Radio Maria, and um, a very warm welcome to Father Ewan. Okay. Father Ewan, you're going to be taking us through the book of Colossians, as you have, um, we've uh-huh. just started. Uh, where yeah, did we get up last week? Well, I'm going to start from verse 9 of chapter 1, um, since before that it's been introductory, but also give us some idea of the background, the mm-hmm. first verses. And a key figure is Epaphras, who's only mentioned, I think, Colossians, who clearly is the key disciple for Colossians, Colossae, the place, uh, probably came from there. And now he's come back to Paul, and Paul's writing with him. So up to now, it's, it's, it's introduction has been, but it's introduction that gives you an idea of what it's about. But then we go on verse 9, it starts to become very theological, very deep. Uh, could almost do a, a line a week, but I don't yeah. think I'll do that. <laughs> not sure people's patience would cope with that, but uh, it's a sudden twist. But then it's actually really a logical development of what he's been saying because he's talking about a real people and what's mm. happening in their lives with Christ. So, so basically, we'll start from verse 9 of chapter 1. Wonderful. Okay. So I'll keep going then. Uh, chapter 9, sorry, verse 9. Uh, begins because of this. So that's actually linking to what he's been saying so far. Um, because of this, um, oops, I've got the wrong one on here. Um, we do not stop praying for you. So this is actually everything he's been saying up to then. He's been writing to the people he calls the saints. And uh, now he wants to say something which is going to become very profound. It's going to be a sort of hymn about Christ. And some people think it is a hymn, possibly a hymn that Paul didn't write, but he's quoting. Others think, well, it's just high, high prose, really, a kind of Paul being inspired. But as I say, it follows through from all the good news he's heard about Colossae. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you. Asking you be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So from the day he's heard this, and this is why he's writing to Colossia, Colossae, there are various ways of pronouncing it. Now, one thing worth pointing out in this verse is the idea of will. It's right at the start, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So the will of God is what has made Paul what he is. But then Paul himself has to find the will of God in the specifics of his life. What should we do? And because he searches for God's will, and he searches for God's will in the circumstances of his life, like most of us do, he also wants the Colossians to share in this discernment. We've asked, we've not ceased praying for you and asking you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Spiritual's a word that we should be careful with we're Christians because, you know, spiritual means generically people who are religious of any kind of religion, but it's always worth remembering that when Paul says spiritual, he means literally of the spirit. Um, so, you know, wisdom and the understanding that the spirit gives, it always has that meaning in it. It's always 
It's not a case of just being spiritual or being religious. It's actually living in the spirit, which is a reality for Paul, but it's a reality that always brings us to Christ. He's the spirit of the Father and the Son. So the understanding of your will of God in life is an understanding of Christ in your life. But it requires knowledge. I say it's not just knowledge because we have to react to circumstances, but even in the circumstances, we have to consider what we are uh, before God. It's not just a question of saying, well, I have to do this. We can also say, why do I have to do this? Why am I living this life? And that's very powerful for Paul himself, of course, who suffered so much and had so many obstacles in trying to carry out his mission who was himself um, constantly having to fight against opposition and also to fight against even disagreements within the church itself about who we are and what we are. Paul himself is very clear in his mind about what we should be and what constitutes Christian life, but he pays a price for that. And then there's a question of, well, you may be right, but perhaps... You don't have to keep saying you're right, you know, perhaps let people work it out for themselves. Paul doesn't show a lot of concern for that, but it, certainly at times he, he is aware of the psychological barriers to receiving faith, that for Jews who just see it as destroying Judaism and everything they've been taught. But he himself is working from in this life where uh, very often it's the pagans that arrest him because they have the power. Sometimes Jewish elders encourage this, but the bottom line is Paul, like Christ, is suffering under the Roman power. Even though Paul is not anti-Roman, but he's, he wants to convert Rome to Christ. So right at the end, the last verse of the letter to Colossians, greeting in my hand, which is Paul's, remember my chains, grace be with you. At which point we realise that Paul himself is probably in jail which is part of that opposition. The Colossians themselves, though, aren't necessarily suffering the same sort of persecution. They're uh, well away from the centres. They're trying to live their life. They still need to know what God's will is. And they need to know God's will so that they can grow in God. They can grow in what Christ is calling them to be. So the will connects uh, Paul with them. God's will is a will for Paul and a will for Colossians. It's a will that unfolds. You know, it's never a single thing that God wants us to do. There's many things, but we should do one thing at a time, certainly. So will is a key word here. Um, and mostly it means growing. So jumping forward to chapter 4, verse 12, this is the greeting at the end. Epaphras greets you, who's one of you, he's from you, that shows you that he's connected with Colossus. A servant of Christ always struggling behalf, on behalf of you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and having been full in your fruit in all the will of God and everything that God wants. So there you see that uh, will will is a key concept of Colossians, and it's a key concept of why Paul writes to them. You know, it's so they can trust in God's will unfolding in their lives. 
Um, so that's a key point. So we go on a bit then, and we see that there's, although it's about the will of Christ in their lives, it's a will of a life lived in the Lord. And so this part of Colossians very rapidly turns into a, a hymn of praise to Christ. He goes on, so you may live, lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. That's very similar to the that last verse, which I quoted in chapter four. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. May you may prepare to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who's enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. You see there that um, obviously they may have to endure things, not necessarily persecution, maybe just difficulties, struggles. Uh, the kingdom has not come yet, but we have to care for each other. There are a lot of the struggles in life carry on, whether the, we're being persecuted or not. We all have to struggle with illness, sickness, fears, limitations and capacities perhaps angers that we find hard to overcome. All these things happen. That's what we endure. We endure with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father. So, how would you put this? Looking at the Greek, to walk worthily of the Lord to all pleasingness, a more literal translation. And the word pleasing is often used in our relationship to God, to please God. Not because God needs us to make, because like him, God loves us by nature. But his love to be fulfilled means we become what is pleasing to his will. So it's very bound up with the idea of God's will again. You know, that you have to become something. We don't know what we're to become. And uh, all through our life, we find that we have to become different types of things because we have different types of struggle. Life is a struggle, but it's a struggle which, although it never ends, doesn't mean to say that we have to live constantly harassed, worried, unable to be at peace. We accept that the struggle has a purpose, and God is with us. The word that's used, I said literally, to walk worthy of the Lord, well, that has a certain amount of um, emotional baggage for any Jew because that's often the word they use for living the Jewish law. Alaka means literally to walk. Um, it's also a word for Aristotle, but there it uh, a different meaning. That's the idea of the peripatetics was the followers of Aristotle because they'd walk around talking to each other. Um, slightly different. But it's interesting the two come together and there might be some sense of that that both of those Meanings is to do with the search for wisdom. You say, well, what's walking got to do with wisdom? Well, I think, you know, like I said, struggle. Life's a struggle, so keep going. Keep going is wisdom. Keep being eager for the next thing. Don't think the next thing is ruining things. The next thing may actually be the way we make progress, even if it's tough and difficult. Um, sort of like mountaineering. You know, mountaineers up in the mountains and they expect it to be difficult because that's part of the, the skill and the art and even the joy of mountaineering you know because they can come off afterwards rest but they want it so difficult that it's dangerous but they do want it to be a, a challenge they want to feel that they're climbing something so 
walking in that sense is wisdom because it means that we keep going. And the worst thing you can do is to stop, to think, I can't go on anymore. That's such despair. We have to go on. But wisdom means that we go on with a certain eagerness, even though that means there will be tough things and hard things. There will be good things too. There will be you know, unexpected friendships. There are, there's always a community that gathers around those who are Christians that our lives become part of each other and we can help each other. And we share joy. Joy is part of our life. It's a joy that's looking forward beyond this life. It's always seeking something a bit more. So, verse 11, being made strong in every strength according to the strength of his glory to every endurance and every patience with joy, thanking the Father, who makes us ready for a share in the inheritance of the saints of the holy people in the light. That's me translating there, a rather more literal translation. Um, that make make it harder to understand, but I think it's important to see there are a whole bunch of key words here, particularly power, the idea that we're going to be made strong. The Christian strength isn't the same as worldly strength. That's why you know, sometimes very weak people can be very strong because they endure. Sickness can actually make us stronger, not because sickness is a good thing, but because in our weakness we depend more on God, we depend more on the other people, but we also give them encouragement. Anybody that's been a hospital visitor or a chaplain, as I have, would know how much the sick can give you strength and encouragement in their endurance. And they themselves are the ones that alert us to how life is an important choice. You know, when we're not sick, when everything's going well, we don't think. We're not really making progress, we're just living, but the challenge makes us start to think about what we are, what we can be, who we should be, and most of all, where are we going? So he goes on, verse 13, who has freed us from the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son of his love. And that's powerful, and it's also saying something rather strange that, you know, he says we're transferred to his kingdom. Well, I'm still in the earth, I'm still in life, nothing much has changed in my life. Yeah, but partly the kingdom is meaning, it's for the kingdom, our life is where we are looking for and where we're heading to. There's also a sense in which that heaven is present at moments. Moments of peace, even joy, the moments when we feel, yeah, I can see that the kingdom is growing, the real world is growing, there is a place which is safe in Christ, which won't be lost. And by the time Paul writes Colossians, some Christians have already died. So that's a question in the first letter of Paul to Thessalonians, regarded as his earliest letter. You know, people say, what, but the people have died. And his answer is, well, they're with Christ. Christ are in heaven, you know, the, they died in faith. I've trusted they are in the place they should be. Also remember that that place is where we have some feeling and presence of it. I think it was a bit like perhaps a, a breath of that place, you know, a, a fragrance you smell or a sound you hear or a light you glimpse. A sense that you think, well, actually it's very near. There's lots of things hiding it from me, but it is very near. The kingdom 
of God, as Christ said, is among you. But it means power and his strength. And I say the strength isn't necessarily what the world means by strength. But it is a strength that has to grow in us. Thanking the Father who is making us suitable or ready for inheritance of the saints in light. And that's simply saying, well, to live in heaven, you have to be heavenly people. You have to be the sort of people that want to live in heaven. You want to the people who want to be in love, to care, to celebrate, to be grateful for all that God has done for us and made for us and to share with others. But here in life, we have a tendency not to be grateful. We have a tendency to fall away from our hopes. We have a tendency to be too weak to love. Love itself starts to seem like an obstacle to our life, something we become afraid of. There's great, great force and meaning in saying making you suitable. Um, this is what the Greek literally means, making the sort of person that would want to be in heaven. Which is how you get into heaven. You know, it, the people that turn away from heaven basically see what love is and don't like it. They don't like the thought of a praise, of giving themselves to other people, of acknowledging that everything that's good about themselves has been a gift from God and not something that they have any real credit from, for. They've accepted the gift that they can praise them for, that's wisdom. But it didn't make themselves good. No, it makes themselves good. We... We are saved, we are rescued, we are given power. The language of Colossians is all about the fact that God is doing all this for us. And here Paul isn't writing to a community that he feels he's done badly. He's writing to a community he's very happy about. They seem to be understanding this, but you know, there's always more. There's always more to do. So I think you should stop at this point and have some music. Yes, indeed. And um, the first piece of music that we will be listening to is our Lord of My Life by Matt Marr. A sky without a north star, a ship without an anchor, caught up in the current, a heart is
gone through I wanna go where you go Wanna move where you move Wanna love who you love Watch your break on through I wanna go where you go Wanna move where you move Wanna love who you love Watch your break on through I wanna go where you go Wanna move where you move Watch your break on listening to Radio Maria and um, that was Matt Marr and uh, Father Yoon and I getting a little bit carried away with um, off-air conversations about other scriptures that uh, yeah. maybe for maybe for another day we could we could look at one of the Gospels um, seeing as yeah. we've been speaking about that but carry on with with Colossians Father Yoon. Okay now here's a theme a single word which occurs in Colossians or on my computer program, I'll get up 39 times. It's mm, quite often. And it's actually a very common word. You'd think it was a theological word. But the word is simply the word meaning all, you know, A-double-L, as in everything. And, you know, 39 times, that's quite a lot. But um, the reason it occurs a lot in Paul is because in the Colossian particularly, he wants people to be ambitious. So it's not just some things but all things so right at the start he says i've heard of your love which you are for all the saints and it, it, the gospel is present to you as it is in all the world there's no part of the world the gospel isn't for and back to verse 9 again which i began talking about so it may fulfill the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so not just some wisdom, every wisdom. And you see that, I can see this in my computer, I've got a program for this, you know, highlighting the word all. It keeps coming up. To walk with the Lord in every way of being pleasing, in every good deed, in every power being made powerful, according to the strength of his glory, in every endurance and patience. So, all or every, it's the same word in Greek, but different in English. All, every, that's basically Paul's ambition. You know, he's saying it's not just our power or some powers that you have to be strong with. It's every power, every power you need. And endure in every way it's possible to endure and be patient because actually that endurance is good. You know, the endurance is the church growing, standing up, finding new ways back with you know, Christ saying, you know, be, be as innocent as doves and as cunning or wily as serpents, you know, that we try and find ways through life. We're not passive in our endurance. So 
this word every goes all through all that, every way of thinking, every way of it can be. And this actually leads us to God's relationship to everything. This is the next chunk. Um on to verse 14, as I finished before the break with verse 13. In whom we have freedom or redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then having said that all of this is about what he's praying for this church in Colossae, all the Colossians to be, he now turns to say this is because of Christ um, who freed us from the the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son in the son of his love, literally, who is, and here he means the son, who is the icon of the unseen God, the firstborn of all creation. Is that word all again? Because in him all things were created in the heavens and on the earth. The things that we can see, the things that are not, we can't see, or the things that are invisible or visible or invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or mm, authorities, all things were created through him and for him, or perhaps through him and towards him. And he is before all things and all things come together in him. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So he might become the one who's first in all things. For him, all things, all the fullness is chosen, are seen fit to dwell. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, making peace through the blood of his cross, whether on earth or in the heavens. So, that's verses from verse 15 to verse 20 there, where all occurs one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. And seven times they're all connected to Christ. And it said more simply in the Gospel of John, through him all things were made. And here we find a, a real connection between I, John's Gospel and Paul. I think we separate these things too much as if there's no connection. Whether Paul knew the writer of John or vice versa, they have a common belief that, that everything is in Christ and everything is called to redemption. Some translations say everyone, which is grammatically possible, but I think, you know, we, uh, while it's true that it's human beings that are to be redeemed, it's also true that we have to be redeemed if in the totality of the world we live in. There's no point having a redemption which doesn't make the world a better place, that the ecology of the world in modern terms, but also think, you know, that if people were actually living well, you would probably feel that in the places you live and the way they care for them and the way they make them welcoming places you would feel it in the sense that the people aren't afraid of each other that they're willing to cooperate with each other redemption is something that fills there for reality itself and also everything comes from Christ, everything, not just human beings, we're not uh, strangers to this world in that sense because we were made through this world it's rather important to when you encounter a, a platonic view that thinks of the world as a sort of prison that we're to escape from. Uh, Christ came to redeem the world, and at the end, it's a new heaven and a new earth. It does die, but it rises again, remade. This is we are remade. We belong to an environment, or 
Our salvation can never be personal in the sense that it's entirely a spiritual, psychological salvation. We have to make this world a place worth living. It's why an office in religious life, the guest master, is quite important. Guest master isn't just uh, to deal with guests, it's also has to be the face of the monastery to those who come there. The guest master is the one that is the welcomer on behalf of the community, which itself is welcoming on behalf of Christ. So, really would stress the importance of that word, all, all things, all places, and all through him and to him. And that's the direction. What I was talking about in private before was about the idea of perfection, and I said that, I was saying that's actually bound up, this was while we're off here, bound up with the idea of a goal. Uh, the word perfection in Greek comes from the word for a pole, which you ran to at the end of a race, which is something Paul uses elsewhere. So it's something about the all creation, all reality. Where does it come from? What well, comes from the Father through the Son? Where's it going? It's returning to the Son. And this is where we get what some people call the cosmic Christ. You know, that everything is made in Christ. Sun, the moon, the stars, the universe, the angels, everything that exists. It's true it came through him. But some things haven't completed their creation. And that would be human beings, all of us. Angels have made their choices for good or for bad. They are, in that sense, complete, but they're also happy to share in the completion of our life. That's why we have guardian angels and angels who pray for us and why we can ask the angels to pray for us. Not because they're needed, but because God likes to share the work of redemption with other parts of his creation. So, through him and to him, for he is before all things and all things come together in him. Now, come together is a, it's a difficult word to translate because there's lots of ways of translating it. There's much debate, but it basically, I think it means that uh, it has its completion in him because you know, the material world is a question of assembly, basically. Atoms come together, make living things, and living things try to stay together, but part of the nature of life that it's temporary comes apart again. So coming together, I think, might be a, translation for that word but the point is it all comes together in him or it's established in him or it's founded in him or it's relies for its being in him let's say all things not just human beings as such but all things but then human beings are the point of the, this life here on the earth the earth itself is meaning comes from the fact that there are rational animals like you and me on it trying to make sense of it and then the other word that comes being first, firstborn. You notice it comes twice, it's firstborn beginning. And it says firstborn from the dead. It's firstborn of all creation. And then, uh, let's see. Um, he is firstborn from the dead. So he might be the one who's first in all things. There, I think maybe everyone might be acceptable. And maybe at that point, it's specifically people. That's because it's about death. It's an interesting paradox to be born from the dead, firstborn from the dead. Um, firstborn of all creation is what refers to the, the eternal birth, the son from the father. 
firstborn from the dead clearly refers to something that happens in creation, which is the resurrection. And it's from the dead, not from death. It's from among all those who are waiting for resurrection. So he's a beginning in that sense, but a new beginning, because the resurrection is a new beginning. It's a new beginning of our life, so that this life here on earth, which is short, which comes to its end, sometimes unexpectedly, is a beginning of the real life. That real life couldn't begin till Christ rose from the dead. Then we have a more complicated thing. Um, in him, the fullness is pleased to dwell. That's, that's another word that's hard to translate. It's, it's the same word as you find in Luke, peace on earth to all men of goodwill, of all who, who see what is good. So maybe pleased is a bit weak because you mean pleased about bad things. But this is this is the creation itself being pleased about all things which are good, the purpose of life. So maybe some more music and then uh, I'll finish off. Yes, indeed. And we're going to listen to um, Matt Redmond singing Better Is One Day in Your House. Your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty, my soul longs and even faints for you. For here my heart is satisfied within. Your presence, I sing beneath the shadow of your wings. Better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, better is one day.
thousands elsewhere And better is one So then we come to the end of this. I haven't quite finished chapter one in Colossians, but I'm not surprised at that. It's very deep. But we'll leave you then with this thought that uh, the Colossians begins with a letter to a church, a rather optimistic letter. He's pleased about this church, which is not often the case or always the case with Paul. After all, he writes to Corinthians, particularly because he thinks lots of things are going wrong. Then it becomes... Uh, a hope, and he says, I'll keep praying for you to grow, to develop. Then becomes this great hymn to Christ, and it's a Christ who is the meaning of all things, through him and to him. It doesn't say from him, because it's from the Father, that's the Trinitarian view, you know, from the Father, through the Son. But that idea of allness, of, of, the, of the, put it, the a unity of all things, so that everything has meaning. Everything is meaning in Christ, different types of meaning, different stages in development, but it means that our prayer is a prayer for everything. We pray for the whole world at Mass, we pray for all the world when we pray for an individual. The old Jewish saying, who saves a single life, saves the whole world. But in Christ that becomes more possible for us. So that's what we pray for, we pray that in all things, in all places, Christ may be present in some way. We pray that we too may be able to reach out to all the things, this, this planet of ours which is both vast and tiny, depending on the perspective. A world that shrinks in the way that technology enables us to see all around the world and to see different places, even live views of different places. You know, we are a world that becomes very wide because we become very separated from each other. We don't know our own neighbours. become very lonely. But Christ is in all of this, and it's all things we seek. So we ask your Lord to teach us to, to live for all things, to see all things as in your wisdom, in your understanding, which you share with us. Above all, in your power to redeem, to make sense of what is lost and destroyed that may rise again in perfection at the end of time. Amen. Amen.